This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast for each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Carissa Orlando, author of the new novel, The September House, which I absolutely tore through. It is a haunted house story where when we meet the protagonist, not only does she already know that the house is haunted, she has made peace with it and she has come to grips with how to survive in said house and be very kind of copacetic and coexist with the things that are haunting said house. Uh, Eventually, we learn uh, relatively quickly that her husband has basically said he's had enough and he is moving out. She said, okay, that's fine. And, uh, She's just kind of going on with her life until her daughter decides to come and visit and wants to find her dad, understandably. And so the mom is like, oh, man, what do we oh, what do? We do? Uh, I need to figure this out because she's coming during September, the time of the year when the house is at its most haunted. And she wants to hide all of these things from her daughter, who, again, just wants to find her father. It is such a good book. I loved it so, so much. I think you're going to absolutely adore it as well. Uh, Chris and I talked a lot about her life and her experience and her passion for being a mental health professional. Obviously, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know how deeply I believe in therapy and the importance of mental health. And so I really, really loved this conversation. I did my best not to make it specifically about all of the things in my brain that I want help with. Just a really great conversation. And we tie in mental health to the writing of her novel and the writing of horror in general that I think you're really going to love, which is why I want to recommend another book for you as well, in addition to The September House which is And the Trees Crept In by Don Kurtagich, past guest of the show, Don Kurtagich. And the Trees Crept In came out um, quite a while ago at this point. I believe it was 2016. Uh, It is the story of two sisters. One of them is mute and they move in with their aunt uh, to escape an abusive father. They're just trying to find peace and they want a place to be to call home. Um, but things are not as they seem. Their food is running uh, very, very low and the trees surrounding the house appear to be getting closer and closer every single day and they need to figure out what to do. Uh, the reason I'm recommending this particular book is to me, it is a horror novel about a haunted house that feels very much like I feel when I'm having a panic attack. It feels anxious and like the world is falling in on the characters, but it is just written so beautifully and hauntingly. And, and Dawn just has such a incredible ability to write these stories that feel so realistic. So again, 
Uh, it is that time of year. You might be able to tell I'm very stuffy because of the fall allergies, but we are full into spooky season now, which is why I think you're going to love both this conversation, The September House, and also And the Trees Crept In by Don Kurtagich. If you want more book recommendations for me, if you just want to get a hold of me, if you just want to connect, you can find me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com, or you can find me on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at passionsandprologues, the same name as the podcast. Really appreciate you all listening in. Appreciate all of the kind feedback that you're always sending me. So nice to see. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Carissa Orlando, author of The September House on Passions and Prologues. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, Chris. So what is something you are super passionate about that you want to discuss today? Oh my goodness. I can talk about anything related to mental health for, for forever. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can tell behind me, I'm actually in my office. I, I try. And when I have these interviews, I'm trying to like go home for them because otherwise I will talk about mental health stuff. I'll just get in. Um, because I haven't like shifted from my, I'm a, I'm a psychologist. I teach and train graduate students, um, to teach them how to be therapists. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to mentally shift from, from job to writing. Well, listen, as a person who is a huge mental health advocate and thinks therapy is the best thing I've ever done with my life, we can yes. absolutely live in that space. <laughs> um, I will do my best to not make this a therapy <laughs> session for me. I, I <laughs> ask the questions and and do it just for me. So I guess the first thing I want to ask is like, uh, when did you realize you wanted to make this, you know, kind of part of your life's work? Like when did you realize this was something you wanted to study and and turn into a profession? Um, in terms of psychology, gosh, forever, actually, it was actually, it's a little funny. So when I was a teenager, I would just kind of like do writing on the side and Mm -hmm. I wanted to be an author, but I didn't think that was like a viable career. Like I didn't think that it was like, I'm like, "Eh, no, I'm just going to end up like writing stuff that I don't Mm want to write. So I'm going to pursue something else. I pursued psychology and then ended up becoming a writer anyway. Um, But I've always found humans fascinating. We're just, we're, we're crazy people. We, and I mean that non-pejorative, we're very, humans are just endlessly fascinating. And so anything I could learn about even just kind of normal or typical human behavior, like how humans behave in groups and how we make decisions and how we try and fail to predict the future is just really cool. And so like from 18 year old on, I knew I would want to do this and, mm-hmm. and I did. And it's awesome and stressful. <laughs> oh my God. I, I can't even imagine. Like I said, I, like I, I love therapy. I, I like, it is such a, like, I think that the thing for me is it's been learning how to like 
properly explain the things I'm feeling or like have a discussion with someone in a way that I can explain myself without mm-hmm. feeling like I'm attacking them or like I'm getting defensive and, and things like that. But, and so that that's for me, like that that's what my like therapy slash mental health journey has been on is like getting better at explaining and conveying what I'm going through and, and also like realizing my, my therapist's biggest thing for me a couple of years ago was like, what I do doesn't cause other people's reactions. Like it's, it's two separate things. So I guess this is all, this is all to say, um, I just, I I just got done saying I wasn't going to make this a therapy session for me. And like, immediately I'm like, let's talk to me. (laughs) Um, You know, I guess like what aspect of it, of mental health did, did you want? to really focusing because like you said it's so many different things it's how people react in groups how they try to predict the future things like that what what did what path did you want to take and, and have you taken as a mental health professional it's interesting so i started off wanting to work with adults primarily um and in my master's program we, we weren't like a big enough program to where you could like specialize in just adult or kids. It was just like, you get the clients that you get. And so I ended up working with a lot of kid clients and realized that I actually enjoy working mm-hmm. with kids. Um, little anxious children are my favorite. <laughs> They're my favorite to work with. That and teenagers. Teenagers are the best. Mm-hmm. Is it's, it's such a fun part of development. They're developing their autonomy and kind of becoming budding adults. And that also unfortunately happens to be the time of your life when all of the mental health issues decide to uh, flare up and and decide that they want to be a part of the party as well. Um, So it's a very, it's a great time to be able to work with someone and kind of help them build themselves up and start to turn into the the adult that they want to be. So that's, I like working with the kids and the adolescents. Um, Mm -hmm. I love stuff stuff where our brains are really mean to us like anxiety and depression i love i like working with mean brains i know mm-hmm. what it's like to have a mean brain so <laughs> so just for the you know there may be parents listening in who who are are kind of curious about this i guess like i I have a wonderful family, wonderful parents, but like I discovered therapy on my own. Like it was something I realized I used to do. And it was since like talk to my siblings and I'm the youngest of four and like come to realize like each one of my siblings were still really bad at, like we communicate, but we're bad at communicating about like big things. Like when I basically told them I'm going to therapy, each and every one of them was like, yeah, I, yeah, us too. And I was like, why have we never talked about this? Thing? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I guess my question is like for parents listening how do you discuss like with parents, like, Hey, a way to explain why their teenage children could benefit from therapy? Because obviously there's, and you know, this way more than even I do, but like there's this huge stigma of people saying like, I'm going to therapy or I need therapy. Like, how do you help them express to teenagers? That this is something that's beneficial and healthy and perfectly normal to do in an everyday life? Yeah, that, that is a very excellent question. I think I mean, just trying to like think about where parents might be coming at at it from of maybe there's this this worry of did I did I do something wrong? Did I do something to cause this? Am I not being a good enough parent? Like, why isn't the supports that we have at home adequate? Um, and those are all valid 
worries and that makes sense, but it's like, he doesn't necessarily care how well everything is going in your life. Mm -hmm. They kind of show up regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's something that there's no real cause for it. Or if there is a cause, it's so many different things that there might as well just not be a cause, but there are things that can be done differently to help um, kids learn how to think in more helpful ways and behave in more helpful ways. And you kind of want that third party objective person because parents are objective. Friends definitely aren't objective. Mm -hmm. Um, It's good to have that third party there to kind of help kind of get the team together, really. Um, Because especially with kids, it helps if parents are involved in in therapy to kind of learn, all right, what skills are my, are my kid learning and how can I support that at home? And how can I remind them to use their skills and practice outside of sessions? So I think a lot of things that parents, like the things that come natural to parents, if kids have mental health difficulties, um, the thing that would work just fine for a child without that mental health difficulty doesn't work for that child. And Mm -hmm. so it's about, being okay with changing up how we're how we're working with things really. Yeah, I I love that you mentioned that objectivity because like for me mm-hmm. that that was the biggest thing when I started going to therapy it was like that light bulb went off for me where I was like, oh my god, I can unburden is the wrong word, but like I can unburden <laughs> my soul to this human being. Yeah, and they will one hundred percent like judgment free. Not only will they not be affected by what I'm saying because they have no direct personal connection with me. But more importantly, because it is quite literally your and and their job to understand all this, like they would know how to provide me with the tools to understand Mm -hmm. the things that I'm going through when I'm going through them, like whether it's panic attacks or even just how ironically as a person who loves words and writing and books and I like it's like I didn't realize that words have power so like when you're having a difficult conversation with someone the words that you're saying to them are like being able to say like what you're putting on me right now is unfair and like being able to say those things Mm -hmm. and when you amplify all those things that I'm feeling as an adult going through that and then you think about it as like a teenager going through these things for Mm -hmm. the first time Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned that objectivity because I, I do think that's that is something that every teenager can probably like benefit from having someone yes. outside of their circle or family to say like, here's what's going on. Here's why it's normal. Here's yeah. how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And also that, so like my spouse and I are both in the field of mental health. Like we both oh, wow. have our degrees in psychology and like, we could never be each other's therapists. Mm-hmm. Never. <laughs> like I cannot. Yeah be a therapist in a conversation with mm-hmm. him and he could not be a therapist in a conversation with me. So even if you got like a trained professional in the house, you need that third party mm-hmm. because yeah, like you said, it's that they can, there's that judgment free zone. Um, it's real hard to rattle a therapist, especially if they've been doing it for a little while and their job is to understand you. And it feels really cool to be understood. <laughs> oh my gosh. It is the best. It's the yes. <laughs> um, before we start recording, you mentioned you're, you're literally like in your office at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want to ask like, if all of your, you know, not only passion, but knowledge for mental health and psychology in general, like 
does it affect your the the writing like of you know i i'm leading the witness because of the <laughs> book that you wrote we're gonna get to in just a moment but does it affect your storytelling and i guess like how does it affect your your writing process as your your other career i suppose yeah i mean i'm i'm sure it affects it in little ways that i don't even know about um there are little little mental health tidbits kind of sprinkled into mm-hmm. the story trying to keep things kind of spoiler free um i'd like to think that it affects my character development because I hope I can flesh people out a little bit more. I think the way that it affects how I write the biggest is I'm very, very particular and how I handle anything related to mental health, broadly Mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. So be that like being characters in, in therapy or characters shown as like trying to work on themselves, how I handle Maybe things like addiction, um, intimate partner violence. Like I'm very, very particular in how I handle all of those things because mental health issues just historically have gotten incredibly bad, mm-hmm. bad rap in society. And I think in the horror genre in particular, it can be a little rough sometimes. And I just, I don't know. I, I want it to be well portrayed. I don't think that that helps people with mental health issues if Mm -hmm. it is you know seen as the primary antagonist yeah and i think that's why i think you're absolutely right like there are of course lots of examples of mental health not being portrayed in like it properly or like you said it being like the main thing like oh that person's crazy and it's like Mm -hmm. so reductive but i think that is why i love First off, I'm a, I'm also a huge horror genre fan, which is why I was so excited to talk to you. But like, I think I really do love when there is like psychology baked into a horror novel or movie or show, and when it's done well and it's uh-huh. layered and, and nuanced like that. So I I, I guess what I want to ask and sort of you know getting into the September House your new novel is like. what was it about like the haunted house idea and we're going to get into like how you sort of turned it on its head a little bit like Mm -hmm. I feel like there are lots of haunted house stories that are you can connect them to mental health in in a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. what was it about this genre that you wanted to to tell a story in it because it could be a very challenging genre to like get into with that type of story yeah I am for some reason endlessly drawn to haunted house i think in particular movies i can mm-hmm. watch any bad haunted house horror movie it does not matter i have no quality control it, i watch anything mm-hmm. and i can watch them like over and over and over again and you really i mean if you've seen just a handful you can identify the tropes in mm-hmm. a typical haunted house like family moves in hauntings develop things escalate we learn the backstory either we leave or the house kind of gets them mm-hmm. um and so I, it was always interesting to me to just just turn that on its head and say like okay so we've already we've already skipped that part let's just kind of see how they cope but i think the other thing that really 
has always fascinated me about the haunted house stories. And this is probably also where psychology comes in is because so many of them are predicated on like family moves into new house. Usually the family brings something with them mm-hmm. or, or like the couple, like they're in financial trouble or, you know, there was an affair or there's mm-hmm. I don't know, some health stuff going on. Like there's always some baggage that the family is bringing with them. Mm-hmm. And in, in the bad ones, that baggage is just supposed to get them from point A to point B. Like it's just supposed to get them in the house and then it's immediately forgotten. But the good ones actually carry it through a little mm-hmm. bit. And so I've always enjoyed the way that the haunted house brings out that that bag and kind of putting them like, okay, so I got rid of all the, the of like the, the typical tropes, but I kept the baggage. It's like, yep, that's <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So actually, that, this is a good point to kind of have you. Can you sort of like introduce like the, the idea of, of the September house? Because I, yeah. I, it wouldn't, I think I could give an introduction to it without being spoilery, because I feel like what I love about your book is like, the hook of your story is like, people will see it on like page six or something like, oh, this is what's going on. But you kind of want to introduce the listeners to the book and then we'll kind of dig a little bit deeper into it. Yeah. Um, September House is about uh, my protagonist, Margaret Hartman, who she and her husband, Hal, had bought this, their dream Victorian house. And it turns out is incredibly haunted. Mm -hmm. Um, But we actually joined up with them four years later. So instead of kind of fleeing, as most people would do in the haunted house um, tropes, Margaret has decided that she is not leaving this house for anything. And she just finds a way to make it work. She creates a whole bunch of rules. These are very intricate rules that must be followed. And she is just, she's made it work. She's going to live in this house. It's nothing to her anymore. Um, but four years in, Hal, not on the same page anymore. He, he decides he's going he's gonna to peace out. And he just kind of dis- disappears off somewhere and cuts off contact. And so their adult daughter, Catherine, kind of wondering where her dad is gone, comes to the house to try and figure out where he's off to. Um, Catherine does not know that the house is haunted. So Margaret has to both protect Catherine from the house and continue to follow the rules. Um, and the hauntings are only getting worse and worse in the month of September, which of course is when Catherine decides she's going to come visit. So of, of course, that's where we join. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. Like what I, what I love so much about the, the opening of the book is actually my partner and I were just talking about this um, the other day about like the challenge with writing books with kind of supernatural, supernatural, or, you know, just like crazy things outside of what we would, classify as like a normal world experience. I feel like there's so many books where they want it to be a huge plot twist that there's some like paranormal activity type thing going on. And so you don't really read about it until like page 200 where it feels mm-hmm. it feels weird because you're like we just spent like chapter after chapter about setting up this very what feels like a normal world. In yours you're just like listen everyone get on board. She's yeah. gonna, like page 5 she's talking to a ghost who's cleaning <laughs> making her toast like, yep. <laughs> like right away. And I was that did you always know you wanted to to write it this way or was that something that kind of took place yeah. in the editing process? That I always knew I wanted to write it that way. The the original kind of hook for the story that I came up with in my brain before I even had a plot was just person lives in the world's most haunted house and is totally cool with it. 
Mm-hmm. And it was just, it'll just be the story of them trying to coexist with a bunch of, with a bunch of ghosts. So that, that I always knew kind of from, from the get go, mm-hmm. we were going to be in it with these hauntings. Yeah. So I guess like to kind of tie in with your, your day job, how do you go about separating? Cause there's lots of people who have a day job and then they write on the side. I, I feel like there aren't many people who have as like much of a, like a heavy, like, mentally draining job where like you're we're talking about emotions and life experiences and heavy heavy things all day long and then you go write about heavy heavy things so I guess how do you go about I guess like protecting your own mental health throughout this process and like a- approaching it in a way that is you know conducive to you enjoying both of those processes still Ah, that's an excellent question weirdly the writing about heavy heavy things is kind of a coping skill. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I was starting to write this book, I was finishing up my degree and it actually came at a really beautiful time because I could kind of get home from doing just like a day of straight clinical work. And then I could completely shift focus to writing. And I genuinely think like anything that is useful for mental health is something that can like disrupt any sort of like ruminative processes. So mm-hmm. Where for me, mental health work can get draining is, you know, you leave work and you're still thinking about your clients and you're worrying about them or you're wondering, like, how did they feel this session went? Or could I have said something a little bit different to make this more impactful? And just like on my end, at least a lot of second guessing. And so being able to shift away that um, second guessing isn't helpful you know, I can't go back in time and change anything. Um, mm-hmm. And so being able to shift to now I have this thing that takes my full focus and it also brings me a lot of joy mm-hmm. um, was incredibly, incredibly useful. And so that that's, that's my advice for anyone that's looking thing is find something that takes your full brain and that kind of gives you joy and mm-hmm. just put that at period periodic points in your day. Yeah. If feasible. I feel like this is, I, I have discovered this in interviewing a bunch of horror novelists over the years. And I'm sure you will, as you like, just do more and more panels and conversations with people. I feel like horror novelists are the most like well-adjusted people I've ever met. They're all like <laughs> happy and cheerful. And I was joking. There's um there's a, a YA horror novelist, <sighs> Dawn Kurtagich, and she writes very, very dark books. And she's the most bubbly person I've ever met. <laughs> in my life and I feel like it is like she jokingly told me she's like yeah I write all of my trauma into my characters so it's like she's like it's like going to therapy once a day for myself like I don't know if you feel that way but it's it's been a really funny funny thing (laughs) I feel like about the well-adjusted thing yeah my family but I've, I've heard that like I've heard that stereotype about horror people that like they're all just bubbly. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's yeah. I, again, I know it's not the same for everybody, but it is very like almost exclusively the horror novelists I've interviewed over the years. And I've interviewed a lot of them. Like they're all just like, Hey, how's it going? What, how? And I'm just like, got done reading this absolute dark work that they wrote. And I was like, you kept me up for six nights in a row. And yeah, um, you mentioned kind of like the, the various tropes and like the things that we see in both horror and just like I guess like media in general about mental health that it shows like the the negative connotations of them are there examples in the horror genre or even just like you know normal media of ways that it is construed in a way that you think is positive and like in a a well-done way of discussing yeah 
I I really liked the Babadook in terms of taking a theme that is very much about trauma and depending on interpretation, showing how kind of one family copes with that and then is ultimately I'm a slight spoilers for the Babadook, but they are kind of ultimately able to to, to live with this. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the messaging that that gives for trauma and mental health issues where it's it's not necessarily something that needs to be defeated as if it was a, a like a literal monster, nor is it something that needs to defeat you, which is usually how the movies tend to end. But it's something that you can learn to live with in a way that makes sense for you and your family. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how the Babadook handled that. And so I think that that was very well, very well done. Yeah. I, I really liked the Babadook. I really liked, um, the haunting of Hill House when they had the- oh god yeah okay I was I was a little nervous I was like oh I'm really I hope you don't say it's like an actual bad example but I, I that one I thought did a really good job of like yeah especially with it being like the family aspects so similar mm-hmm. to the Babadook where it's like this family comes together and they there's this house and there's just like a million things going on but yeah that that was another mm-hmm. one where I was like and I love the you know I I, I very much love the the book but like, I thought they did such a good job with um the season as well on Netflix. I I agree. And that's the ones that been getting asked, what's your favorite haunted house bit, yeah. bit of content? And that's the one that I've been citing because it's just excellent. Yeah. So ha- now that you're kind of in this world of writing about horror, writing in like the horror genre, what types of horror stories are you drawn to personally as a reader? Hmm. I'm I'm trying to read a lot of kind of like new stuff coming out. So I just finished um, Grady Hendrix's um, Final Girl Support Group, which was mm-hmm. excellent. Um, I'm in the middle of Stephen Graham Jones' My Heart is a Chainsaw. I really like Paul Tremblay. I was, I think I'm the same as literally every horror writer. I grew up reading a lot of Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like my big background into it. But it's been very, and I mean, all respect to Stephen King. He's amazing. He rules the genre, but it's been really refreshing to listen to like new horror voices or mm-hmm. new-ish horror voices just to hear other people's take on the genre. And I think I can really tell the people that are kind of like kindred spirits where it's like this person clearly has just watched every horror movie and you can really <laughs> you can see that. Influence. I'm just like, this speaks to me. This yeah. very speaks to me. I, um, it's funny you say that I have a, a good friend who's been on the, the show a couple of times. Her name is Mallory Romero. She also hosts a podcast called Reading Glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, she and I have been, have been buddies for a long time now. And we, she's like my horror friend. Like I'll text her. Mm-hmm. I actually sent her a photo of your book. <laughs> and I was like, Aww. just like, it's like our back and forth. Like, and it's, <laughs> it feels like such a, a prize to be able to like show her one that she's not expecting. But um, I, it's the same way. Like, I think that's why I love having a, a friend who's like my age and we're talking as, you know, we're in our like mid to late thirties. And exactly what you said, like, it's been really refreshing to read new voices in the horror genre and like hear them, mm-hmm. these different takes on, on books, whether it's from, like you said, you mentioned like Stephen Graham Jones, like the only good Indians is just like stunning. And um, Alexis Henderson is a, an African-American author who's written like two just like phenomenal, like LGBTQ style horror stories. And like, yeah, I think 
I I feel like horror is one of my fa- I love reading diverse diversely, but I think I love it most in horror just because there's so many different mm-hmm. stories from different like backgrounds or different style of stories that people yeah. can, can tell. Yeah, I, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so you've been super super gracious. You are literally at your office. So I I always end every episode though by having the author give one recommendation of any kind. It can be a book. It can be uh, a TV show. I've had people say like, "Hey, go for more walks," or you know, anything, anything <laughs> you want to recommend to people. Um, you know, you think they should do or know more about from your point. Oh of man! <laughs> I'll give one while you're waiting. While you're thinking, yeah, I'll play one. Everyone yeah. should go to therapy. That will be mine. I yes, will say go everyone to should go to therapy. <laughs> I'll have this. I mean, this is my this is my thing um, of just I think this is so helpful for mental health, but just make little decisions throughout the day. That is the the only purpose of it is to make you happy. Mm. Like just as many opportunities as you have of of just like this. This just gives me a little bit of joy. Like in my office, no, you can't see it. I have a a lamp shaped like a T-Rex. It's Mm -hmm. like right there. I bought that because every time I look at it, it makes me smile. Yeah. And so just like find, find your little T-Rex lamp and put it in your life. And it doesn't matter if it makes anyone else happy, as long as it makes happy, that's, that's all you need. So um, that's, that's my recommendation. I love that. And so for people who are listening to this, it will be, it will come out right around when the book comes out. It's called September yeah. House. It won't surprise anyone that it comes out in September on September 5th. <laughs> this will be out right around that same time. Obviously, we were a little light on talking about the plot because we didn't want to give too, too much away, but it, I am loving it so, so much. I told you before we start recording, but it's so wonderful. And I just love this conversation. So thank you so much for joining oh, me today. Oh, thank you so much. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.